0: Hi, I'm Jenna, and I'm Mark, and you're listening
1: to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Welcome back. Yeah, guys, thank you for joining us for another episode of Cincinnati Zoo Tales. We're really excited to be joined by our Herp guy, our reptile guy at the Cincinnati Zoo, Ryan Dumas. Thank you so much for taking your time and spending some time to chat with us today.
2: Appreciate it, guys. I'm just one of the Herp guys, so we have Herp guys and girls here, so I'm just one of the team.
0: (laughs) There's definitely a team, of course, but we're going to talk to you and we'll talk to your teammates at some point about other things. I think, you know, we want to hear a little bit about your background and how you got into all of this. And then, you know, you've done a cool project with map turtles that we want to hear about and some training things. So we'll we'll hear about that and other things that you guys take care of. But tell us about yourself for now.
2: A little bit about me, I guess. Um, well, I'm an old man married with two kids. <laughs> Yeah, I know everyone's expecting zoo stuff, but no, I'm going to lead off with that. I like it. <laughs> I've been, uh, this is my 15th year uh, working in AZA zoos and aquariums. I got my start at the Cincinnati Zoo actually, uh, oh my gosh, like 21 years ago wow. as an intern when I didn't know what I was going to do with my life and I ended up loving this. Pursued it, it was a part time uh, aquarist and biologist at the Newport Aquarium before I graduated and moved out to DC. Worked there for four years in the National Aquarium in D.C. Worked at the Bronx Zoo for a few years. A couple of aquariums in Connecticut, uh, like Mystic and Maritime Aquarium. Both great facilities. um, Before moving back here to work at the Newport Aquarium for three years. And now I've been at the Cincinnati Zoo, coming up on five years. So I moved around a lot, but I'm happy to be home. um, And yeah, I've enjoyed every second of it.
1: Yeah, that's awesome to get such a varied experience. To be able to see different things and different techniques that... Other zoos and aquariums. Do you have a specific animal, individual species, anything like that that really stands out to you from your past before you were at Cincinnati Zoo?
2: Ooh, from my past, Um, yeah. I've been very, very fortunate, especially with the Bronx Zoo. Their herpetology collection was massive and impressive, and every the team there was just so focused. It was nonstop, grueling work, but everyone loved it because you just had such an amazing collection to work with. But Let's see. I think uh, some of my favorite animals there, shoot, there's going to be some silence here while I'm thinking. It might have been, we had some really big Tamistema crocodiles, also called false gharials. Mm. They were 60, 70 years old. Wow. Um, and they were just kind of a fun animal to work with. And I didn't even get to work with them that often. And they weren't under my primary care, but really, really fun animals. But that's if you, like, force me. To pick an animal, yeah, I, I mean, I, I've been so fortunate to work with everything, at, you know, every, so many different turtle species, crocs, snakes, venomous snakes, amphibians, like.
0: I was going to say, will you tell everyone what the definition of herpetology is, or what oh. is classified under that?
2: Yeah, so herpetology comes from the Greek word herpeton, which basically just means creepy crawly. <laughs> so they, they put it <laughs> all not in creepy there. Though. They really are not. I mean, cool. some are, some are for some people, but I don't find any of them that creepy. Um, Especially turtles. I think a lot of people forget turtles are reptiles. Yeah. Oh, turtles are reptiles. (laughs) I like reptiles Um, then. Yeah. yeah, Okay, maybe they're not so bad. (laughs) But um, it's herpetology is the study of reptiles and amphibians, um, which is really really funny because amphibians and reptiles are really not that closely related. Um, And even more funny, uh, turtles and uh, crocodilians are more closely related to birds than they are to snakes. Wow. So I was not aware weird, of that. So oh, that's I interesting. Either. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of funny when you really pull it off, but we've been doing it for so long, I guess it just all just kind of comes together, way. but I don't mind it. Cause I like working with everything.
0: When you mentioned that some are creepier, is there one or two animals that you're thinking of, or you just know that people
2: think I think reptiles
0: in general, I don't know if one stands out. You're like, actually, I love all snakes, but I don't like this type of lizard, or not not like it, but it creeps me no, out. No, no,
2: there's there's nothing left that creeps me out. Uh,
1: <laughs> After you've taken yeah. care of everything, you've kind of any creep that you had yeah. it's kind of worn off by now, right? <laughs> no, the one
2: animal that creeped me out the most in person wasn't even a wasn't even a reptile or amphibian. It was a Japanese spider crab. Oh. I don't know what it was about that thing. I mean, it's cold. It's cold water animal. Moves super slow. But I was just like, gross. <laughs> but I shouldn't have been. They're, they're totally, giant. They're totally too. They're cool fascinating, animals. Fascinating. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, there are things like Sicilians, which are like they're amphibians and they're like big worm-like things with teeth that I think a lot of people would say are kind of
0: I guess that weird, would be a little
2: but I think they're really really
0: neat. Intimidating.
1: <laughs> so a lot of people, when they think of our our zoo's reptile department. I don't think a lot of people are aware you guys also do take care of our amphibians. We talk about some of the amphibians in our collection. We've got some really
2: cool ones here. We've got some really cool amphibians for sure. Uh, Some of my favorites uh, to just observe and to say the name of is our Lake Titicaca water frogs. uh, (laughs) They are fully aquatic frogs with big foldy loose skin uh, that live in this high elevation lake, Lake Titicaca, in Peru, South America. Um, And the Denver Zoo did a great job of going to help obtaining them and kind of having an assurance colony because they've been dwindling. Mm. And they were extremely successful uh, reproducing those guys, and that's where ours came from. And they're tiny little things. Maybe they're four or five inches total length, but it's really neat to watch them. They're gray blotched frogs with big eyes that some people find a little eerie, but I think they're super cute. Um, and the cool thing is their skin. I mean, they, they breathe almost entirely underwater. That big, foldy skin increases surface area where they can exchange like oxygen with through the water. And they That's can actually, always wild to me. Yeah. yeah. So they remind me of like a frog hellbender. So if you're not uh, familiar with the hellbenders, another, it's our largest amphibian in the United States. They're um, They're about cool. two feet long. Yep. Lasagna lizards, they call them. <laughs> you might laugh now, but when you see one, you'll be like, oh my gosh, that does look like lasagna. They have, again, foldy skins and... Uh, Fully skin for that same oxygen, but uh, they are closely related to our Japanese giant salamanders, which are the second largest amphibian in the entire world, which we have in our old koi pond. We're the only place in the United States that keep our salamanders outside all year long. We, the cool. zoo has invested uh, in some huge chilling units to make sure that water rarely gets above 57 degrees, so it's nice and cold in the summer. Uh, and those guys, our biggest one is Steve. You know, he is Steve. about 35 pounds. <laughs> yeah. He's wow, about a
0: 35-pound four- salamander. Yes, wow. and
2: that's not the largest one in the world. It's the second largest species wow. behind the Chinese salamander. But they're all in the same family of Cryptobranchidae. So you can see a small one in the reptile house. Okay. They're not quite on exhibit, uh, the Japanese giants. It is um,
0: unfortunate. I wish people could see them. Yeah. It'd be hard to find them anyways. Like since It, they it hide could under be rocks hard, hard to find right? them,
2: but I, it just shows you what kind of place a zoo can be. You know, it's They've invested a lot of money and supported us in providing this kind of uh, enriching environment, hopefully with reproduction in mind at some point, uh, without the expectation of making sure the public can see them. So... Um, I love that perception. I love that background that, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not all about making sure we see the animals. We're putting our money where our mouth is. And, you know, it it feels good. Investing into the species. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not necessarily worrying about
1: if they bring money back, if they have a return on investment. We're just investing in them, which is very good. That's insane because I didn't realize we were the only place that kept them outside. I mean, it makes sense. You know, they need those really cool streams, but. That's amazing. We're the only place in the country that keeps them
2: outside. Yeah, I think Japan, where they're from, might be the only place where they're outside. Wow. Year-round. And they're out there year-round. I mean, we've broke through two or three inches of ice to make sure they're okay. And you poke in and they just look up at you like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, are you going to feed me some fish? I'm like, wow, jeez.
0: <sighs> Do you feed them live fish?
2: Not, we do offer live fish, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we have live fish that kind of live in there, and live crayfish, because you want to still maintain, like, a like a natural environment yeah, as possible, so there's a little ecosystem in there. But we also do tong feed them to make sure that mm-hmm. they're getting a certain amount of food.
0: Yeah, and do they come when they see the tongs? Like, do you have to find them first, or do you, like, wiggle the tongs and they come out to you? No,
2: we usually find them, Okay. even though it's a 35-pound salamander, it's a nearly 10,000-gallon uh, pond, so we have to go find them in their little dens, but... They will come out. I mean, I think they can hear the tongs or whatever's going on. They understand it, so they won't hide. It's not like you have to force them to eat.
0: Okay, yeah, They'll they come, come out, out for it. That's awesome. That
2: is awesome.
0: So fun. Yeah, something people, uh, a lot of our listeners probably don't even know existed here. We yeah. have people that come every day, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Lots of big fans, so that's very cool. Something to share. Definitely.
1: That is cool. So will you talk to us a little bit about one of your projects that you got to go do
2: out in the field, actually, with map turtles? Yeah, we can talk about map turtles, I like- I will nerd out on some map turtles.
0: Pascagoula, is that correct?
2: You nailed it. Pascagoula! we are always so (laughs) nervous to say it
0: out loud. I didn't want to be the first one
2: to say it because I thought (laughs) I'd mispronounce it.
0: Pascagoula map turtle.
2: Pascagoula map turtle. So, yes, they are a species of map turtle that is native to the. They're only found in the Pascagoula River drainage system. So, it's the only place they're found. uh, The Southeast United States in general is amazing for aquatic turtle diversity and a lot of other kind of herpetologically diverse animals, I'm sure. Other fields as well. I'm just not as up on that, but it's their populations have been dwindling. Uh, they still are. And the IUCN lists them as critically endangered, um, and there's new legislation now because they look so similar to other species in in separate river systems where they're going to protect all. They're trying to protect one species, so they're just going to protect them all because they do. There is trouble distinguishing them from some of the other species. But, anyways, I digress. Um, because of these dwindling populations. Uh, we needed to look into securing an assurance colony. And this wasn't just a decision by me and the Cincinnati Zoo. And this is something that was established by the Turtle Taxon Advisory Group. I don't know if you've discussed taxon advisory groups much on here. No, but
0: we, I mean we've touched maybe briefly here and there about the species survival plan and that sort of thing.
2: But. Yeah. So basically a taxon advisory group is every, any, every kind of animal you can think of in zoological uh, populations have a taxon advisor group, and it's a group of people that work together to steer conservation and uh, kind of what should be exhibited in that particular genre. And this is a species that they wanted to champion and kind of move on and, and kind of get that assurance colony, so that we don't lose the species indefinitely. So, with their uh, approval or with their uh, support and the zoo's approval and support, in 2018, I set out. With a lot of people, a lot of collaborators, uh, especially Dr. Will Selman, who's down at Millsaps College, to go collect an assurance colony of 30 young uh, Graptemis gibbonsi, or Pascagoula map turtles. And we went after young ones because, you know, an adult turtle they estimate takes about 60 years to replace. Wow. But when you have a lot of young, uh, you're having a minimal impact on existing populations. So we, we targeted young ones. So it's just, I'm glad stealing you mentioned babies. that, it's interesting, yeah, because it is,
0: <laughs> it's hard, we try not to take animals from the wild, you know, it's not like mm-hmm. a common practice in zoos anymore, but this is for uh, reproductive, like, mm-hmm. population, genetic diversity, everything, like, to ensure this critically endangered species survives, so there's a very important reason behind it.
2: An important reason, as well as the impact of this particular trip would not cause significant harm to the wild populations, and that's important, but... Uh, yeah, I think it's important for people to understand that the Asia as a whole, we, are, as members, we do our best to make sure that we have a sustainable population of animals to help other zoos out when needed so that people can be inspired by these creatures that they get to see, but they come from somewhere, Yeah. right? They all did, and that so is something mentioned. to keep in. So that's, this is where these map turtles come into play, is we need to, not only are we going to Basically be like an invisible arc for this species, um, but we can learn a lot. they're growing super slow, so anyways, we went down and I was out on a boat, like staring through binoculars, just looking for them you're looking for bumps on a log, so like the adults it, you can be a mile away and they're in the water they you'd have to trap them. We didn't trap anything We're on a boat um go around a bend a sandy bend across from a sandy bend you'll see snag what we call it. it's tons of like wood in the water and that's where all the babies hang out mm-hmm. the young ones the one to two year olds or young of the year they like it's a little slower moving there they have little eddies that kind of stay calm and you'll see little bumps on a log and got your binoculars me i have no no sea legs and this is just on a fairly calm river but it gets a little tedious, like for my belly. Oh, my... I can't end, use like binoculars
0: can't. on land. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
2: so but I did, you know, for the good of turtles. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, but you see it, and then you're like, yes, there's one. You go up, and it might not be one. It's just a literal bump on a log. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we we did that in several locations, and um, the the beauty of it is they're so young they can't stay underwater very long, so they'll they'll freeze, young freeze, freeze, freeze until you get too close, and like, no, get out of here, and then you just wait. Thirty seconds later, they're like. Swim up to the top, take their breath, and you just net them. <laughs> I mean, it was much more difficult than that, but in in a nutshell, uh, and we did that for hours and hours and hours, like 10-hour days for a few days, like four or five days, and we were able to collect uh, 30 specimens to bring back. I mean, I had to go to a veterinarian in um, Mississippi to get a health certificate signed, mm-hmm. get all this stuff done, but we came back and we've had them, and it's been really, really neat, but um, I don't know if I shortened that up too much, but basically... It's one of these things where you have this full support. It kind of shows you what zoos can help with this. This is an animal that, you know, 40 years may not even be in there anymore. And Mm -hmm. we will, at a minimum, have a strong genetic population because we pulled from several different populations to make sure we didn't pull all from one, um, where if the event arises, hopefully that is something we might be able to help with repatriation one day. But ultimately, it's to make sure the species isn't lost and that people can see them and, and hopefully be inspired by seeing them.
0: And I don't know if you mentioned this, but other zoos were with you, or people from other zoos. So it's not, we don't have all 30 turtles, is that no, correct? No, no, we yeah. don't.
2: We don't. Um, San Diego Zoo was one of the first zoos uh, that took some. Uh, they have, I think, seven or eight of them out there. And then, um, i trying to remember who else has some. I think the Tennessee Aquarium has some, and Wichita, the... Uh, Cedric County. Thank you, Cedric County, County Zoo. Yeah. They don't have some of ours. We're, oh, okay. We keep the we ke- we kept the bulk of them. Okay, mainly because you know I'm emotionally attached to them. At <laughs> right, not um, letting anyone else take yeah, these turtles. No, no, no. <laughs> but um, I do need to spread some out at some point. But right now they're still small. They're super slow growing. Some of them were. 10 grams, 8 grams.
0: Wow,
2: it's so tiny. I know, you Africa people will understand. Uh, No. 8 grams, and it's been almost 4 years, and now they're about 38 grams, 40 grams. So they're not growing super fast. They're nice and slow growing. So cute.
0: Little baby turtles are so cute. No, we have an idea of what 8 grams is, because that's like something we would measure out the amount of carrot that we feed to (laughs) something you know no but that's so tiny compared to everything we work with yeah
2: that's insane so we're also just collecting information i take regular uh metric data like carapace length their shell length their their obviously their weight their width just things that we can kind of use and at some point maybe you know get a care manual out there and work towards reproduction because the goal is to hopefully reproduce these in uh in our care.
1: Mm. And you did mention that when you guys were out there, you were harvesting mostly young ones to bring back to zoos and aquariums. The, correct me if I'm wrong, the thought process behind that is most of these turtle species are going to have really high infant mortality rates for the young. So by harvesting and bringing back the young ones, you're not having a detrimental effect on the population because the adults are still out there to reproduce, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. Okay. You know, you you take one small turtle i mean that turtle needs probably eight years to ten years to get to a full adult size where it could reproduce uh that's eight to ten if you take an adult that's eight to ten years of no more recruitment no mm. more eggs being laid no, none of that but yes they do have high mortality a lot of them die before they even hatch like they have nests get raided and whatnot so uh it can happen but that was the thought behind it is it just it just always has kind of been proven that you're going to have a way less of an impact on the total population by removing those animals. That makes
0: complete sense. You didn't mention though why they're declining. Is it the typical habitat loss? Is it pollution? Is it...
2: You're right. I totally glossed that over. And I think that's important. I think um, logging is a huge industry in Mississippi uh, and you have a lot of clear cuts. There's a lot of roe pine out there and unfortunately what is kind of done is caused... There's pollution in, in a lot of these streams but siltation is actually... A major polluter that we don't even think of Right. because uh, it's not actually it doesn't look mm. bad you wouldn't test it as bad but these streams are usually pretty clear and a lot of the animals that these turtles partic- particularly eat are uh, like clams and freshwater mussels crayfish a lot of filter feeders that have a really hard time sustaining in this heavily sedimented or mm. silted uh, water it's the
0: whole ecosystem yeah. you know yep. the prey yeah. and the predators and there isn't enough of either it sounds mm-hmm. like but
2: so this, so those populations are declining. The, of those like gastropods and bivalves and stuff, and by by relationships there, the the adults are having a harder time finding those meals.
0: Interesting, and it's too bad. But so, is it because of the logging that then there isn't as much of a, like a root system and Correct. kind of like the I mean, you called it silt, but yeah, for anyone like maybe not familiar with it, it's almost like the mud or the the ground around the river is kind of falling into the river correct because those large, roots yeah. so typically keep it large
2: well-developed forests like primary forests will be cleared for for these rope which are just if you ever go down south and you're driving down the highway you might see like wow those trees are all lined up perfectly those are row pines and that's what i'm referring to they mm-hmm. they grow really fast you can harvest them fairly sustainable in that regard but to put them there a lot of old-growth forest was removed, and what those forests do, like you said, the root systems and all that, they prevent a lot of that runoff. Like when it rains, those roots, like trees are reservoirs. They're like water sinks, and they will hold that and prevent a lot of that stuff from getting to the river in the first place. But without those those kind of mechanisms in place, then a lot of the water gets runoff into there, and you'll see like dirtier water, siltier water. And that's where that has an effect. Thank you for asking me to clarify that. Oh,
0: yeah, no, and I'm glad we brought that up because even as someone like myself who I consider is pretty interested in conservation and things going on around the world in that, you know, subject, I often don't think of logging in the United States. I think of it as like the Amazon rainforest or something. You don't think about how it might be impacting the wildlife and animals and ecosystems Mm -hmm. here in the United States, but it's clearly still happening and I'm just not aware of it, you know, <laughs> you don't yeah, think of if it If you're nothing. not
2: from the place, sometimes you don't even know, like, I'm, same, I, I learned when Will told me, Dr. Selman was going through some of these things, and I was like, wow, I didn't, I never, never would have guessed, but, um, mm. you know, we just learn and move on, and Try to see how we what we can do to help in any any way possible.
0: So, and since they're protecting all of these species now, is that something they'll be doing? Is stopping the logging as close to the rivers? Or how do they work to do that? Do you know?
2: I wish I had more info okay. for you. My my assumption is that it's gonna be a real difficult thing to stop okay. logging because it is so good economically yeah. for the state mm-hmm. and for a lot of people. There's a lot of jobs. It's trying to find a balance. These days, that's what it is. It's trying to strike that balance of, you know, how do we protect this growth and development and importance to the region while also you know protecting the habitat and animals that are a part of it
0: you you're know? exactly right yeah. it is such a balance these yeah days. and in
2: this case
1: it's such a tough balance to strike because while you might protect the waterways if the siltation is still occurring it doesn't matter if the waterway is protected if it's not a healthy waterway so it's a tough one for
2: sure yeah, that's the thing about conservation. It's so depressing. <laughs> <laughs> so you gotta make sure when you talk to zookeepers or anyone interested, you first off they're amazing. You all are amazing for just being able to work in that field. Because every like when you think about conservation, like you're just trying to save stuff. Yes, <laughs> that's all you wanna and do is like
0: save the turtles. So
2: <laughs> it's uh, you know, give someone a pat on the back or you're six feet away. Give him an air five. <laughs> but just keep that in mind when you talk to zookeepers or anyone who works in that field. That you know, a lot of us put our heart and soul into all of this, and you there's know, there's a lot that goes on top. behind the
0: scenes. People mm-hmm. don't know that we are sending keepers out like you to go do these, you know, mm-hmm. research or conservation type projects. Um, You mentioned that the ones you have now are very small, like less than 40 grams. What is an adult size? Uh,
2: This is fun Uh, because this species is sexually dimorphic, which means that uh, there's a pretty clear difference between the males and females. Uh, Males are small. They're about a pound, 400 to 500 grams when they're full grown. Females can be up to 3,500 grams, so about three and a half kilograms, 10, 12 pounds. Wow. wow. It's quite, quite a difference. Quite a difference, yeah. 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 And the females develop these huge, wide heads. They're called megacephalic turtles. Okay. And uh, that's why they kind of really own that niche of eating, you know, gastropods uh, and bivalves and like those hard, those yeah, so they have real tough, tough, big heads. Um, it's one of the things that's also neat is because they are large and the males are not, it tells you that it is a female selection for mating because typically what you would see is males grow bigger so they can fight each other yeah. and win that female uh, the males stay a little tiny they do <laughs> their one little job and <laughs> the female says thank you but she gets, she gets to pick it so I love I love that part too but it's, it's interesting like some of the natural history that you can kind of pull or make assumptions about from just like a little bit of information. Yeah
0: the size difference or mm-hmm. yeah very neat That's
1: fascinating. So how many did you say we have here at the zoo?
2: We have 21 total here at the zoo. We have two on exhibit up at the oldest zoo building in the country, uh, the Reptile House.
0: Very
2: Just cool. A quick sidebar on that one. And that building was designed as an aviary.
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: And then was built as an ape house, monkey house. Okay,
0: yes. I and then in the right
2: 50s right. became a reptile house.
0: Such a so it's yeah. crazy history here. It's nuts. It's second oldest Zoo in the country, but you work in the oldest building, the zoo building that still exists, which is very neat.
2: Really, we should be the oldest zoo. Like Philadelphia Zoo opened a grass like field. (laughs) (laughs) They like put some ducks in a pond, and we're like, we're first. No offense, Philly, but we got some beef here. We got some
0: beef. (laughs) It is fun to remind ourselves that we work at one of the very oldest yeah. zoos
1: in the yeah. country. And yeah. the building was built, the reptile house was built in 1875, correct That's me it. if I'm wrong? Yeah. Okay.
2: Nope, nope. you are correct. So in so, big up. 2025 is a 150 year zoo anniversary and reptile house anniversary. It's wow. older than the elephant house. Yeah. And prettier. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Are there some challenges that come with that, though, working in such an old building? The size is the big one. You know, we can't, it's now, it's raised, it's a National Historic Mark, so there's not much we can do to alter the structure, add on. Um, So it does have that. Um, But otherwise, you know, we make do. We have the electrical needs that we have, and... No, I mean, honestly, enough, I'd love to be like, yeah, it's so difficult to do this. (laughs) (laughs) But with the support we've had into making the upgrades, I'm sure, like, in the 60s, it was probably a pain in the neck. But nowadays, um, everything is so possible, you know, with support and, you know, some forethought that... Uh, we have not too many issues. Like, we have carbon-filtered water everywhere. I'm a huge water advocate. Surprising. Okay. My wife is a water quality yeah. <laughs> works out um, well. I, I don't like the idea of, like, giving tap water to any of our animals. I don't know why. I'm just, like, if we have the ability to give them nice filtered water, why would we not do that?
1: That's awesome.
2: Uh, so almost all of our animals have that now, that ability. So we have that in every room uh, in every building just about, which we Manage, you know, we have animals in Manatee Springs, the dragons building, jungle trails, and reptile, as well as the outdoor uh, salamander pond. So yeah. there's five outdoor areas that we're constantly going to, and there's only four of us. Yeah. We are a very small team.
0: It is once you think about how many different places yeah. you have them all over the zoo.
2: We get our steps in. Yeah. <laughs> Hiking around the park. Yeah.
0: I know there are two animals that you work closely with in Manatee Springs Lucy, mm-hmm. and I cannot think of the other one's name.
2: It's Leslie. 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 Okay.
0: Tell us about Lucy and Leslie and your training that you've been doing.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, Lucy is our, shoot, I can't remember exactly, but 34, 35-year-old American alligator, female, uh, obviously with with Lucy, but anyone can be Lucy if they want (laughs) to. She has been really, really fun to work with unfortunately we lost a little trust with her oh, no. because we last summer we tried to give her the option to go into a crate so we can get a good weight on her instead of the traditional traditionally you know you jump them you know you you noose their neck you cover their eyes you jump them you and you manually f- use force to restrain the animal it's like crocodile hunter style yeah. Yeah, yeah and that is still uh and you know if if the if the, if the reasons were legitimate enough we would totally do that you know if the situation were quiet but it's not a huge rush she's a fairly healthy animal Um, and we got her really close to choosing to go in there and then she didn't want any of it and now she doesn't shift very well for me so the shifting part of the training is not going well with her but she does target train very very well Um, and that's like a two to three person process where we offer her a target I say target, <laughs> and then she has a certain amount of time to do it, and then if she does it, I'll bridge it verbally, uh, and then I have another person who feeds.
0: Mm. Very cool, so when we say target, it's basically, what do you guys use? Do you use a buoy on a stick like we do here? No, because America?
2: they'll bite it, and like. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't know if it was so, through the glass, okay. But it's, no, it's, it's not through the glass, we're in there with them, okay. um, and what we use is a bamboo, bamboo stick, um, maybe about an inch in diameter, and then we use different colored uh, tape
0: uh okay. Electrical
2: tape, like alternating stripes, because they can't see color, they can't see those patterns.
0: Okay.
2: One end of the stick is a solid color, and that's what we use when we're not. Like, it's just in case they get a little too close, we have to do some oh, okay. work. okay.
0: Mm-hmm. Kind
2: of just give it a little nudge away, we're never mean. But yeah, she'll do that. Um, does she, she does touch her around. snout to it? She does, okay. she does. And that, cool. it takes time, because one of the other, one, one big problem with feeding, or training, reptiles, is that you, you can't feed them multiple times Yeah, a day. they don't eat yeah. Your then. opportunities are very few. Lucy probably eats 20 to 30 times a year.
0: Wow, yes. Yeah, so you don't have very yeah. many options for so training. We, we Rewarding, at least.
2: Exactly. So we do what we can, uh, but we're building trust back with her. She has one bad eye, though. She's always had a bad right eye, so she has trouble seeing that way. But I'm really impressed with how well she takes on. But Leslie... Uh, on the other hand, we can do uh, hand signal training from the front. So, in the front glass, you know, I'll give her a com- I'll, I'll offer a command. I say command, that makes me feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not commanding you. you. ask for a behavior. I'm asking heat. you to come over here and yes. do something. And Wills is the American crocodile. She's the American okay. crocodile. Okay. Very, yeah, I should elaborate. Uh, but yes, Leslie is our about 22, 23-year-old American crocodile. She's literally my favorite animal in the zoo. Oh,
0: good oh, to know. Awesome. We didn't have to ask. Usually if we ask people, oh. i like, clam up. And <laughs> I feel guilty for asking, uh, how no. long is she?
2: She is about seven and a half feet. She's just under 8 feet long. She's about right. 150 pounds, so she's not very big. But American crocodiles are sexually dimorphic, so the males can be much, much larger. Okay. I mean, 10 to 12 feet, several hundred pounds. Uh, wow. We used to have Marlin here i don 't know if you remember he was him. massive yeah. he was a very large, man, a so or a very large crocodile man, so what now makes we her have your her.
0: favorite
2: uh You can see the wheels turning okay, you know and she 's not it 's not a very common crocodilian to see. Uh, American crocodiles have a very small range in the united states it 's actually kind of funny we call them American crocodiles yeah, tell us where they're from well they 're from very southern tip of Florida, uh, and you can find them anywhere south, like okay. uh, Central America, Cuba actually in cuba there's a problem there because they're hybridizing with cuban crocodiles oh, and yeah so um yeah, i just find her just so much fun she trains really well basically any animal that's hungry is motivated mm-hmm. by food can be trained pretty well
0: yeah so what do um, you use to feed or what do you feed them i guess I should. Oh, ask. I,
2: they eat kind of anything meaty basically we anything i've ever offered but when i do the hand signal training i don't give her much we have these uh biscuits by missouri i'm sure you guys have some type of missouri M A Z U R I -hmm. uh products that you guys use um they look like little turds (laughs) they look like little round pieces of poop and i don't know what it is that crocodilians love about them but they do and they float so it's nice so i can have her come to the glass and Um. throw pellets in so it's one of those things where i'm by no means am i a trainer i am a novice at best but i I can see a behavior. I get made it with like, oh, well, sometimes when I shift her, she'll sit under the shift door when I shift her back out, just out of view of people, and she'll just sit there. So I'd also notice that sometimes if she sees someone with uh, a zoo shirt on, that she would come up front. So Very I captured cool. that behavior to a hand signal. Uh, as Mm -hmm. well as with the audible cue, and we started doing that. So now I don't have to worry about her really staying back. And she can choose to go be out of the visitor site anytime she wants, but I need to close that door. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But then that kind of worked in. And so I have, like, this intimate moment with her, like, at least once a week that we're able to do, because it's just a little bit. Through the winter, I don't get to do it as much, because we fast the animals for two to three months, both the larger crocodiles and crocodilians, so...
1: Which is a yeah. natural behavior, right? That same thing. Totally and, natural, yeah. yeah. I
2: mean, so American alligators, they can be as far north as, like, the real southern part of Virginia. And you can see videos and photos of them where the top of the water is completely frozen over. And just their little...
1: Snouts. Yeah. <laughs> just their little nostrils
2: are They're above so the water line so they can they can breathe and stay where the water's a little warmer. Just a little warmer. So,
0: so tough and really neat animals. Yeah. And it's something that it's probably newer in zoos or in general with reptiles, even thinking of training and it's not super common, not because they aren't smart, but because it, for us, you need a reinforcer. And if an animal doesn't, isn't super food motivated, like reptiles, they don't need to eat often. And then, you know, if they aren't into scratches or some sort of affection, like that's how we reward them when we use this positive Mm -hmm. reinforcement. So it's just not quite as, Easier, natural. I feel like for reptiles to be thought of when you were thinking of training them. And yeah, there's some yeah. culture
2: shifts and yeah, a prototypical herb keeper yeah. as well. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are <laughs> making happen, progress. But, yeah, uh, we're really big on enrichment as well. So when you come to the zoo, look at the lighting.
0: That oh, I mean, yeah. those are th-
2: we have three or four different types of lights on every single exhibit that we have because it's important to have those things. Um, so I, I was just making that point to say, like, the training is just enriching. Mm-hmm. We're really trying to embrace enrichment. But we've always been doing it. Like, we provide, again, look at our exhibits. Not just the light, but we, we don't use fake plants. We use live plants. We use a mix of different substrate types yeah. to really get not just the look, but functional. Like, we have very complex, dynamic living spaces. And to us, that all creates opportunities and options for these animals to have this choice to do the things they want to do. Um, we just have to record it more. I mean, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, like, that's what they want. Like, yeah. well, OK, you're doing it, but prove it. <laughs>
0: Well, it's something that we haven't brought up. Talking about reptiles, you know, people might think of them as cold-blooded. What is the correct term? Can you explain that? Because humidity and lights are really important in their lives and, like, their health, correct?
2: Yeah. Generally, we use the term ectothermic. uh, And all that really means is that their body temperature is dictated by the environment around them. Um, And when you're in a confined space, I don't know if that's the correct term to use, but, you know, there are limitations to where they live um, in zoos and aquariums you have to make sure that there are options. Like mm-hmm. oh, So one of the first things we did, was, well, obviously we, we added UV lighting to everything, and that and you can't just add UV lighting and be like, we're good. You have to add UV lighting, but you also have to make sure that they have a total option to have a UV gradient. Maybe they need mm-hmm. some strong UV, but they need some lower UV. They have the choice. They need to be able to completely avoid it as well, mm. just like they would in the wild. Mm-hmm. Um
0: and does there like how warm they are or how cold they are affects their activity levels too sometimes right or at yeah, least sure for certain can. ones mm-hmm. and that's what you'll often see like turtles basking in the sun or you yeah. might come across a snake like laying in the middle of the road and yeah. it doesn't make sense but they're absorbing that heat right
2: mm-hmm. absorbing yeah. the heat building that energy uh sometimes turtles bask to just absorb that heat and get energy sometimes it helps with their digestion okay. with turtles there's also documentations of them heating up so that like uh leeches and stuff will fall off of them because it's too hot oh, for them interesting like, basking is an is could be a very complex behavior with a lot of different reasons for why they do it it also helps them shed their scutes so turtle like aquatic turtles shed their like little plates i've never you know? thought
0: about them needing to shed yeah them. they
2: shed their scutes you think
0: about snakes shedding their skin all the time and i'm embarrassed to say that turtles have <laughs> been one of my favorite animals also- growing up and i've never thought about them but Mm -hmm. that's how they grow. Tortoises
2: (laughs) don't shed scutes. They just grow new ones. So the Galapagos tortoises, they just grow new scutes underneath. And you can see them. When you see ours, there's rings that you'll see. um, And each ring is just a new, larger scute that's growing underneath. And that's how they grow out. It's very much like a tree. Yeah. cool. Um, But one of the things we try to think about is that, you know, a lot of people have a thought, like, you just put the snake in a box, (laughs) give it what it needs. And, oh, those herb guys, they got, no, there's so much thought. That goes into like the way we set up our habitats and spaces. Um, one of the things we thought of, re- not recently, but we've been doing for quite a while, is um, you have, let's say, a four-foot-by-four-foot four floor space. And you have a heating element that you know heats to 115, 120 degrees, and it's on for eight hours. You know what, things on. Well, animals have, a lot of reptiles have optimal body temperatures, and once they reach that, they go somewhere else but if that's on all day you've essentially cut off that entire portion of the living space that oh, they can't even use yeah. anymore because it's well over their optimal body space so we use like randomized basking so okay, that they, cool. they'll go on and off at different times so oh. it can be available I'm like oh i could use that right now just think about it in the wild like if a clouds are passing through yeah. and so yeah or they might go Thinking under a rock it. for shade for a little bit and then back right. into the sunlight to bask again yeah mhm So making sure there's lots of choices. So it's a very complex and dynamic kind of way to look at things. We put a lot of forethought. And then there's reading. and The observations are so important to read those, like make those observations, analyze what's happening, and see if there's some type of action that needs to come afterwards.
1: No, and it definitely shows when you walk through the reptile building and you see all the dynamic exhibits that you guys have on display. It definitely shows all the forethought that goes into it. One that I want to touch on, though, you mentioned some of the upgrades that have happened recently to the reptile building, Mm. is the Galapagos Tortoise Yard. Mm -hmm. I think it's a beautiful exhibit. Will you talk a little bit about what it was like building it, and then some of our tortoises that live there now?
2: Absolutely. That was really... I like to declare that as the first project for our more home to Rome. Uh, Not officially, but come on. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Unofficially, officially. officially. (laughs) Yeah, so... It was. It's the largest, I, I believe, of any real northern zoo uh, in the United States, it's the largest space that Galapagos tortoises have. Southern zoos cheat because they have nicer weather. They can come outside all year. <laughs> yeah, they have
0: year-round outdoors. Exactly. Space. So
2: they're cheating. Um, but no, they, I mean, it's just such a nice space to see. It took a while, but the the process was wonderful. Like, they agreed to, like, okay, we need to give them something or we can't continue to hold Galapagos tortoises. And the zoo said, okay, let's do it. So it was a two-part kind of construction and the first part was extending where they currently are and now they have such a huge area to roam and they almost look tiny now (laughs) (laughs) but they're not (laughs) even half grown so they still have a lot of room to grow at 165 pounds like our male bruno is the is the heaviest tortoise we have and he's going to be closer to 500 pounds when he's grown so he's got a long ways to go i mean my kids will enjoy him one day when they're my age (laughs) Um, but the, I think the most fascinating part of it all is we were included in the entire designing process. And during the construction, every, it was such a collaborative process that it turned out excellent for the animals. They have everything they need. The trees were planted. Like there's so many options out there.
0: I mean, we've seen pictures and videos of them in waterfalls, right? Like I wouldn't have guessed that tortoises like waterfalls and you'll see these really fun photos of them enjoying it.
2: And it's deep enough that you can see they float because they float and they have little arms <laughs> moving around and swimming. Um, they, they really seem to enjoy it. And then the, So they went out there for a year, and then we had to do their, our old school method of bring them to a room in another building for the winter, which stinks. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the space was great, but what it stinks is, you know, in, in Cincinnati you have that random January 70-degree day. Right, and you want to get them outside. Yeah, you want to be like, oh, let's get them outside. But you can't when they're down there. But then the following year, that, that winter and into the spring, we built their indoor holding which was super awesome because again we were that was a lot more time consuming and a lot more needed more collaboration uh more nitpicking kind of mm. because there's more going on in there we have uv transmitting skylights so uv b wavelength lights are, are getting through that are solid for those animals we we were out there like checking the concrete each day to make sure it was the right type of rough texture to, their nails wear down and they're not sliding mm. it's a heated floor believe it or not and you should believe it because I'm telling you this.
0: <laughs>
2: the water drains to one place.
0: Wow! No, he says that to us because for some reason, no matter what state-of-the-art facilities we build, the water never goes to the drain. It's
2: not just here. This is everywhere. Why is that a thing? This is even in aquariums. <laughs> I mean, it it's just there's always something that gets in the way, and you have to squeeze. like this will drain give it the rest of the amazing, yeah there's like a pocket or two where it's settled but it does go there it it all goes down to our zero degree pool for the tortoises so we built like a depression into it so that we can fill it so they don't have to go up and over anything oh awesome yeah and it's connected to our building so we have a so we didn't actually bust into the reptile house Mm. there's uh, a relatively i'll say relatively new uh annex under that building it's They'll be about 100 years old and <laughs> next year, which it's was new. the first hospital in the zoo. I don't oh know if you knew gosh. that. You know where oh. our little break area is and like yeah. the back room or the kitchen? That was the zoo's first hospital. I oh. did not know
1: that. Wow. Yeah.
2: So that one's not part of the historic building. So we're able to punch a hole in there. and So we can go in the kitchen, get everything ready, and then just walk out. And if it's middle of winter, we don't have to go outside. You just go right in there and yeah. the tortoises. So. Um, And it all came together. We even have like the air exchange, you know, when it gets a little too humid or a little too hot or we just think it's kind of stanky in there (laughs) in the winter when we're hosing and it's humid. Yeah. You know, we have some louvers that open and an exhaust fan that kicks on on the other side of the room. So it pulls in fresh air and does a nice big air exchange. I mean, they really did it up to the nines and the tortoises are enjoying it in there. And, you know, now we have, you know, in the winter you can have tours there.
0: Very cool, yeah. Something that people probably don't know about, but you should check out the Galapagos tours. Oh yeah, you, if you uh, can, yeah. yeah, it's
2: not that expensive, and it really is kind of uh, come on in, do whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we it's, need
0: to do it, Mark and I need to. I know. Yeah, I've heard I've heard
2: people team. do the tour and just rave about it. Yeah. Like, it's, it's it's the only tour I think you have where you know we're kind of just out of your way. Nice. You're, you're free ranging with the animals. There's, There's no the one's part. holding an animal. There you're not behind a barrier. Nothing that that's bad, but. It's way cooler when it's not. Yeah, yeah. when you're just um, sharing space. Yeah, you're sure. just sparing, sharing space, petting them, loving them up, giving them some food. It's really an awesome experience.
1: And how many tortoises four. do we have?
2: We have four. We have four Galapagos tortoises that are um, Vulcan Darwin tortoises. They're one of the subspecies. they okay. the most common uh, turtle tortoise or a Galapagos tortoise in zoos, but I say that relatively. Like There's maybe 160 total or so. Mm. Um, ours are 14 years old uh they were you can hear the twang in their voice because they were hatched down in texas so, <laughs> so when, you, when you talk to them you should hear it next time you hear it. um but we have bruno Nobby, husker and michelle s-h-e-l-l michelle obviously has to be <laughs> of
0: course yeah very cute and she's the well, tiniest
2: so i think she's a crowd favorite so they're uh, 14 how old will they get to be um, they're gonna live forever, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah. they're, they're gonna outlive me. us. They'll outlive me, so that's forever. Yeah, but no, they're. they're I typical think we can do lifespan. a whole on them, right? We
0: there. can do a
2: whole episode on it. yeah. If you want to talk about Galapagos tortoises, you should get Jenna. In here. Okay,
0: yeah, the other She'll, Jenna. Oh, the other Jenna, yes, the other <laughs> yeah. not the other Jenna.
2: There's three, at least yeah, three there's... zookeeper Jennas in this zoo. It's
0: crazy. These forget days. Jenna Lions. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the, we should have a Galapagos tortoise episode for sure. Oh, yeah,
2: you should do it right in the middle of the exhibit with them. <gasps> Yeah. On
1: site on site podcast. Ah, oh my God. I'm, in.
0: Cool.
1: I'm in. I'm <laughs> in. We've had guests visit us on the podcast. Animals visit us, but we've never gone to We so need
0: more like... guests to bring. Next time, we need you to bring an animal. We like it when we have animal well, guests. Oh yeah, let's do bodies.
1: that. Yeah, we've had American Bearing beetles. We've had
0: yep. Remus was cool? yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right, well, do you have trivia for us today, I do have some trivia for you guys. I don't even know why I'm asking. If y'all are up for it. Try and move on and pretend you don't have it.
1: If you're ready, all right. Question number one. Speaking of how old these tortoises are, how old was the oldest living tortoise, and what subspecies was it? Oh,
2: the subspecies is a good one.
0: I don't know the subspecies. Uh,
2: I think it, I'm pretty sure it was Jonathan jonathan he's got that the name of it so right? i think he was living over in england or is is i think jonathan's still around
1: is he um yes pretty sure he's he still around yeah
2: lonesome george was really old too he was a saddleback type galapagos tortoise but he passed away maybe 10 years ago but those both jonathan sound familiar
0: is, is jonathan 193
1: 193 is jenna's guess it's your guess Hundred and seventy-eight. It's right in between you guys. You guys are really close, though. Jonathan is believed to be one hundred and eighty-nine
0: years old. Yes, I was mm. semi-close for once. Believed no, to price be- is right, rules. <laughs> <laughs> you know.
1: Believed to be born in eighteen thirty-two, which is just wow. mind-boggling. Yeah, yes. like, and he's a Seychelles giant tortoise. Am oh, an right? Aldabra. Seychelles. That's not a Galapagos tortoise. Oh, an Aldabra. It's from the Seychelles. No, okay, a, okay, it's
2: the other giant species of tortoise. Okay. Like An Aldabra tortoise. And uh, they're cool. They actually existed on, exist, there used to be like seven or eight species out there. And the Meridius and Seychelles, that's all. And they actually existed with the dodo birds out. That's where the dodo birds are from. Um, so.
0: Very cool. Yeah, that's I won't go awesome. down that road. That's awesome. Because oh <laughs> <laughs> of the plight of giant tortoises.
1: No. <laughs> all right. Next up we got, what is the largest reptile in terms of weight? What species was it and how much did it weigh? Extant? Yes. Yes, currently living. Sorry, I should have clarified that.
0: Some sort of crocodile? And what am I guessing, the weight? Yeah,
1: which species was it was and how much did it weigh?
0: Nile crocodile, are those the biggest?
2: No, they can be big. Yeah, think outside of Africa, Jenna. No, I'm not. <laughs> oh, you, Africa. Fucker. I'll say, we only think no, of. <laughs> we work with African animals, so we only think of Africa. I, don't, I, don't, I know it's the Chinese are the smallest, right? They yeah, are the smallest alligator, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah,
0: we're going alligator. Just <laughs>
2: imagine. That's all right. I love those guys, too.
0: <gasps> yeah, I know, but I'm not getting it.
2: Okay. It's. It should, I, I would imagine it's a saltwater crocodile. Uh, How big yes. they can get? Ah, man. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they hit 1,000 pounds saltwater
1: crocodiles, correct up to 2,200 pounds there you go i was that's halfway
0: incredible. there that's yeah. more than fiona yeah it's bigger than fiona wow
2: oh, weight wise i'm sure yeah. much longer yeah much it's more cool. terrifying fiona would still whoop her though you think? <laughs> i don't know Hippos. fiona's got more energy i'll say that much i <laughs> yeah. girl's wild all right
1: we're going from the largest to the smallest yeah. what is the smallest known reptile
0: it's a little tiny chameleon. It
1: is. is. Brachysia, maybe? <sighs> is it a genus? It's like it your is. finger
0: your pinky yeah. fingernail, right? Yeah,
1: it's a nano chameleon. About inches long it's the size of an aspirin
0: tablet which is wild (laughs) i'm just obsessed with chameleons they're so cute in general i can't imagine something that miniature uh,
2: there's a lot of chameleons in africa Uh, in fact all of them yes (laughs) just about so (laughs) you guys need some
0: such cool oh my gosh that's such a great idea
1: that's the next level there's there's a photo online of one of these little nano chameleons on the end of someone's pen cap and it is just the cutest little photo Uh, you can imagine yeah all right last question i got for you guys today we're in with a tough one what are the names of the four teenage mutant ninja turtles and do you know the colors that go along with the names
2: I don't even have to dignify that with a response. <laughs> I can name those in my
0: sleep. I mean, I was a huge ninja, ninja Turtle fan. I grew up like playing Ninja Turtles instead of House. You know, like I made people be the turtles. So, but I I couldn't tell you. I have a terrible memory. I say that in almost every episode. I couldn't tell you who was which color. So you let us know.
2: That's all right. You just got cooler.
0: <laughs> I had a Ninja Turtle beach towel. Yeah. I wore Ninja Turtle tank tops. Anyways.
2: Yeah, well, I I grew up watching the Ninja Turtle cartoon series as well, mm-hmm. and like my kids are starting to watch like some of the newer stuff, but it's definitely there's four uh, so after artist. But
0: he's cheating. He has kids that are watching. <laughs> okay,
2: go yeah, ahead. I knew him already. Uh, <laughs> I'll you know. say by Ryan's kid watching
1: it means Ryan's actually
2: watching it, and he's
0: yeah, yeah. working four yeah. kids <laughs> to watch <it>. exactly.
2: <laughs> like I, I I've got the lowdown on all kinds of movies, and I enjoy them. Um, yeah, Leonardo is blue. Okay. Raphael is red, um, uh, Michelangelo is orange, and Donatello is purple. For sure, uh, I was trying it. to go with the. You know, I would have
0: mixed up the last two.
2: Leonardo leads. Donatello does machines. Raphael is cool but rude, and Michelangelo is a party dude. <laughs> I didn't know the rhyme. I wish rhyme. We could... That's the theme song. Is it really? <laughs> yeah, they sing that part.
0: I wish we could end it just on that. <laughs> but I, I have another question that we have to ask.
1: <laughs> we do have one more question.
0: Sing <laughs> it. Wish we could end on that. Oh okay, God. Ryan. So we've talked about how there's you know things that are unfortunately happening all around the world and harming animals and causing. Reason that we need to help.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
0: what is something that people can do to help? Do yes. you do anything in your family? Is there anything that? What can I do?
2: Yeah, there's I, there's so many things you can do, um, and I think that a lot of times people view them as like tiny things, and uh, but when you do all those tiny things together, they really really add up. And sometimes it's also just kind of like an affront on your convenience. Mm, yeah. So one of the things we actually do at home is, um, and not everyone can do this, I guess. Oh, you can! You totally can. Um, but it's up to you. We, in the summertime, we set our AC to 78 degrees Fahrenheit.
0: Why do you even have an air conditioner?
2: I'm, you know, I'm like a reptile. I don't, <laughs> I don't mind it warm at all. It's the winter that gets me, because in the winter, we set our heat to 65.
0: Wow, that's not bad. I like winter being colder is easier, because you can like bundle up. But man, 78. Do you use a lot of fans?
2: We have our ceiling fans and stuff, okay. but a lot of time, I just hang out in the basement. Which is a finished basement, so it's not going <laughs> to go down, down into the concrete and bricks like, oh, it's fine down here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, using using fans is, I mean, it's still energy that That's way. True. But you're using yeah. less than, than really the air conditioner. Mm. But, you know, sometimes you have to use it. And if it was just me, and like me and Rebecca, it'd be a little different story. We could probably handle even more. Mm-hmm. But with the kids, you really got to be careful. Yeah. You know, they too. don't understand everything that... They handle 78 well. Good. Yeah. So,
0: adjusting your thermostat to save energy, you know, reduce a little bit of, you know.
2: mm. Thermoregulate just like a turtle. Just like a turtle. Save some money while (laughs) you're at it. Yes. Yeah. And you will save a ton. Oh my gosh. You will save a lot of money Mm -hmm. by doing that. More than you would think.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know ever since we started kicking our AC on, our, our bill has gone significantly mm-hmm. yeah. up, up since yeah. summer, summer came. so. Yeah.
2: You did
1: mention, you know, it can be a little bit depressing sometimes being in the conservation circles. There are a lot of bad stories. But we just want to emphasize there is still hope. Mm-hmm. Like yes. Still, and <laughs> those projects that you work on, you know, going and helping out with the map turtles. Pascagoula
0: Pascagoula.
1: Pascagoula, not
0: That's we like, that loud, but I nailed it today. <laughs> <You did. laughs>
1: I messed it up both times I said it, I think. But like, projects Passable. like that, they really emphasize the hope that we are trying to circulate at zoos and we are still trying to save these species until the very end. We'll keep trying. Yeah, we'll that didn't trying. mean to be too depressing. Yeah. No, but we're, no, definitely but no, not. We're all, no, that's but why we're is, here. We yes, have people exactly. like you
2: guys and, and people who are committed to this and that, that inspires hope and it's really, it makes us like Cherish the small victories because sure. they add up as well. Just like I said, like the mm-hmm. small things add up. These little victories add up, and and there, there is a lot of hope, especially in our future generation. Yeah, you know. So we have to be stewards Thankfully. to the younger folks as well and get them on board.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and there's always something that I can do or you can do. So mm-hmm. hopefully yeah. everyone one does at least one of these little suggestions we make at the end of all of our episodes and makes sure. somewhat of a difference. I don't
1: know if I can do 78, but I'm I'll try for 76.
0: Do what you... I, you know, I'm, I'm going to check in
2: with I mean, him in a couple months and see how... <laughs> try one degree. Yeah, That's all I would say. Try one or two degrees. If you set it at 72, try 74. Yeah, that's great. Well, Sounds thank good. you so
0: much for being here, Ryan, and telling us uh, a lot about... You have so many reptiles in your area that all of you and your team take care of, so probably bring some of your team back to tell us more about the dragons and more about the, the goggles, horses, yeah. snakes and stuff. So, But thank you for being here and talking to us about a lot of things, but Pascagoula turtles yes yes your project yes well thanks for listening everyone have a great day
1: yeah thank you all for joining us thanks again for your time ryan appreciate you